Well, hello and welcome to New Hope Community Church. I know that your pastors are taking a much deserved sabbatical uh, and, and we're so grateful for them. We're grateful for their friendship and just the opportunity to speak into your lives. And so today we just want to um, celebrate what God is doing in their lives. And also, I really feel like God has given me a very specific word for you. Now, you might be wondering, who are you? Who's this lady? Well, uh, my name is Danessa. I'm the co-pastor of Elevate Community Church. So I pastor with my husband, um, a church plant we planted, uh, let's see, seven years ago. And um, so church planting is no joke, you guys know. Uh, and so um, we, we planted our church seven years ago, and it's been a lot of fun, ups and downs, and all kinds of crazy things. Uh, so, as, in addition to you know pastoring, elevate, I also work for um, the Pacific District. Um, I am the district administrator for the Foursquare um, Church, and so it's been fun, exciting. I have multiple jobs, different hats that I'm wearing at different times of the day: being a mom, being a wife all the things you probably know because you're probably just as busy as I am and trying to keep track of everything sometimes can be so exhausting, right? Well, um, I wanted to kind of introduce my family to you. Um, there's a picture of us at Disney World. Now, okay, you might be thinking, oh, yay, Disney World, what an amazing experience. Okay, note number one, we went to Disney World in, uh, what was it, June? And we were there for... <clears throat> four days. So we kind of spread it out over the course of a couple of days. And as we were there, um, it was hot, like miserable hot. You know, the kind of hot where you just like sweat the minute you wake up to the minute you go to sleep. It was just so hot. And then, and then in addition to that, we were the kind of people, you know, there's some people who casually stroll through Disney. They're not really, you know, in a hurry to get anywhere. We were the kind of people where we're like, we're paying a lot of money. We are going to go on all the rides and do all of the things. And so it was absolutely exhausting. But as you can see in the picture, uh, we have a 16-year-old daughter, Abby, and we have a 14-year-old son, Ezekiel. And now we have two kids who are in high school. So if you ever think of me, if you ever think of us, pray for us. But um, And then also as my husband, Zach, we've been married for 19 years, almost two decades. And so it's been a lot of fun, a lot of work for the married people. You could just say amen right there. And so it's great to be a partner with him in ministry and to do the things that we feel like God is calling us to do. All right, so that's enough about me. Here's what I wanna know about you. Every week at our church, we kind of ask this question, uh, it's, we call it the question of the day. And the question of the day is usually something super deep and, you know, spiritual, very philosophical. Just kidding. The question of the day is something that we can talk to someone next to us or someone who's watching with us. So if you are watching today, here's the question of the day. Who is your favorite superhero? Take just about five seconds and answer that question. So you could write it in the chat or you could talk to the person next to you. Who is your favorite superhero? Well, in our home, we have this sort of ongoing debate about Marvel versus DC. So maybe if you are a complete nerd, like everyone in my family, you either love Marvel, Marvel or um, despise DC. Um, and so it's kind of interesting because it's been this whole thing. And you know, with DC, they're coming out with these new movies, all these different things. So for my husband, his favorite superhero is Wolverine. 
remember Wolverine, the claws, the, the sharp, I don't know. He actually kind of looks like him too, which is really weird. Um, but his favorite is, is Wolverine. And now that he has like the beard, you know, the COVID beard, he looks like identical to him. And so it's really funny and also kind of creepy. Um, I would say, you know, because I'm not really into comics, I just like to kind of mess with them a little bit. So I said, you know, if I had to choose a favorite, I would say it's Wonder Woman. She's a woman and I wonder what she's all about. I never even saw the movie. So one day we decided, you know what, we're going to watch this movie. We're going to get into it getting our popcorn. We decided not to go to the movies because we didn't want to pay for an expensive nap. I always fall asleep in movies. And so we decided that we would watch it at home. So we're getting everything together, getting ready, getting ready to sit down. You know this drill. You probably do this at your house too. And we started watching it. And, you know, my husband, he always does this thing where he says he doesn't like watching movies with me. He says, because one of three things will happen. Number one, I'll predict, you know, what's going to happen. Like at the very beginning of the movie, I'm like, oh, okay, that one's going to die. These ones are going to fall in love. Like I have it all planned out and I'm usually right. Uh, number two is because I can kind of poke holes in the plot. I'm like, okay, that would never really happen. I mean, in real life, these two would not fall in love. In real life, this, you know, would not happen. And so I would kind of logically talk my way out of the movie. And then the third thing is usually that I fall asleep in movies, you know, 20 minutes in and I'm out. So he doesn't like to watch movies with me that often because of these reasons. So we sit down to watch the movie. And as we're watching it, I kind of had like a few problems with it. Okay, so do you want to hear what they are? Okay, here's, here's the first one. Shaved legs. Now you're probably like, what in the world? Okay, so you think about the movie if you've ever seen it. They're, they're you know... Uh, in the Amazon, I think, or the Amazon women. Okay, and so they're, they're this whole village of women, this whole planet full of women, and they're all like kind of, you know, um, like superheroes, I guess. They have superpowers. And so in the very, very first like couple of scenes of the movies, you see these women who are like decked out. I mean, they are dressed to the nines. They are totally... Uh, all put together, makeup, hair, all the things. And I'm going, okay, first of all, <clears throat> if, if there is a planet full of women, they would not do that. There would be like no shaved legs, right? They would just be like, you know, it would just be like, okay, I, I might brush my teeth. Okay, we'll brush our teeth. But it just would be, it's not realistic. So I started poking holes. Okay, so here's the second thing that I said. They're running in heels. I'm like, okay, how in the world do they run that? I can't even walk in heels, but they're running in heels. And then I thought, well, maybe that's their superpower. They can run in heels. But that, that, that was just ridiculous to me. Okay, and then here's, here's the third thing. They have flawless hair. Like right now, my hair, I have what I call jungle hair. So if you're thinking, wow, her hair is out of control, it really is. It's so, especially with the humidity, it just kind of gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So here's the scene. They're running with flawless hair and uh, their legs are shaved and <laughs> they're having this sort of battle to see who is the most powerful Wonder Woman. So as the story goes on, it's something that uh, you can watch later if you want to, but I got to thinking like, well, what is it about superheroes that endears us so much? Like, what is it that we look at a superhero and we go, wow, I wanna be like that. Wow, I'm inspired by this person wow, I wish I married someone like that. You know, we, we, what is it about us that we're so drawn to these characters? 
See, the truth is we're drawn to these epic stories is because it's, there's usually this sort of unlikely character who doesn't really realize they're a superhero and they kind of become a superhero, which we can all relate to that, you know, not really knowing what our potential is. And then they overcome these huge, you know, amazing things. And then they come in and they save the day. Wow. Now that's not like real life. In real life, it's hard. In real life, you have a mortgage. In real life, there are things that we cannot control that happen around us, especially this day and age. So it kind of reminds me of one of my favorite Bible stories of all time. You may have heard of him. His name is Joseph. So today we're going to be looking at Joseph's life. And if you've ever uh, read scripture or been around uh, church any amount of time, you may have heard of him. Okay, so we're not talking about Joseph, Mary, uh, and, and Joseph, um, you know, Jesus' stepdad. We're talking about Joseph in the Old Testament. So it's Joseph, uh, his, he's son of Jacob and Rachel. So we're going to pick up in uh, chapter 37 of Genesis, and we're going to be looking kind of at this, this big scope of his life to really understand what was it about Joseph that made him so special. So we know that Joseph was one of 11 boys. Now, back then, they counted only the sons, so they didn't count the daughters. So who knows how many children was in this family? Okay, okay. so number two, um, there, there was a speculation. You know, we kind of speculate this, okay? So they have 11 boys. We don't know how many daughters, but we're assuming there are some. And then back then they could have like a lot of wives or whatever. And then they also, they didn't have TV. I mean, it's just my speculation. I'm not sure, but they didn't have TV back then. And then they probably didn't have birth control. I'm just saying. So we kind of can get this big picture of what family life really looked like. It was a big tribe of people, people who cared for one another, people who were supportive of one another, people who believed in one another. That sounds like our family, doesn't it? <laughs> okay. So. He was the second to last in uh, the family. And actually, as we read this, um, we're going to pick up in verse 3. It says, Now Israel, which is his dad, uh, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he has been born to him in his old age. So, so Israel, his dad, had him in old age. And so he, it's, he was special. And then it says, when his brothers saw their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Whoa. Okay, so we find out pretty early on in Joseph's story that his brothers didn't like him very much. He was his dad's favorite because his dad had him at a very, you know, later age. And so... You might be thinking, oh, well, I know who the favorite in my family is. In fact, if, if the favorite is with you watching, just like point to them. Uh, that's, that's mom's favorite. That's dad's favorite. But we all, all know who the favorite is. And so from here on out, his life just kind of becomes more challenging and difficult. We read in verse 5, it says, Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers, they hated him all the more. So they had already despised him. They didn't like him. They couldn't even say a nice thing to him. And now we read in the very next verse that, that they hated him even more because he had a dream. So why did his brothers hate him? Well, I think there's a few reasons. Uh, 
you know, as we kind of look at this, and, and verse two actually kind of gives us a clue if you can kind of flip the page back a little bit. Uh, Genesis 37 verse two, it says he was a tattletale. Now, it says that he was, he was only 17 when this happened, but he was tending to the flocks and two of his brothers, they don't say which ones, two of the brothers um, that he was with uh, did something. We don't know what, but all we know is that he brought the father, Israel, a bad report about them. So here we are, we have this sort of first scene uh, that we can see with the brothers, where Joseph is 17. Now, if you've ever been 17 or if you are 17 right now, 17-year-olds pretty much know everything, don't they? Well, I know when I was 17, I thought I knew everything. In fact, when I was 17, I was really in a very, very difficult place. And so uh, as a 17-year-old, my life was just a mess. I was doing things I shouldn't do with people I shouldn't do them with. And I just found myself in this sort of desperate place, really needing God to show up in my life. In fact, when I was 17 years old is when I decided to commit my life to Jesus. I wasn't raised in church. I didn't know anything about church. I didn't know any hymns. I didn't know any songs. I didn't know anything. I was just so green to church, but I knew that God was doing something in my life. And so I gave my heart to the Lord in my, actually in my bedroom. I just, I kneeled down and prayed after a very, very challenging moment. And I said, God, if you're real, I need you. In fact, if you're watching right now, maybe you could say that prayer too. Maybe you've been doubting. Maybe you've been struggling with God's reality or what he can do in your life and you just need him to move. All you have to do is just reach out to him because God loves honest prayers. So that night I gave my heart to the Lord and my life has never been the same since. I, I'm so grateful that God did something at that moment in my life. So 17, we picked that up on Joseph's story. He was 17 years old. He went to tend the sheep with his brothers, and two of them were doing something bad. And he came back and told his father, because that's what you do. When you are the second to youngest child, you tattle. So he did that. Uh, we're, it, we don't really know what they were doing, but we do know that he was his favorite. Here's how we know. In verse 3, it says he got special treatment. So he not only was a tattletale, but he got special treatment. You know, like, oh, he can sit, you know, in the best seat, you know, passenger seat, maybe in the car. Or he gets the very best, you know, meal prepared for him while the rest of the siblings get just scraps. I don't know what the situation was. But what we, we do know is that he was the favorite because his dad uh, was old when he, when he was born. So it usually works that way. There's a huge gap between my husband and um, his siblings. So he has a sister who's 11 years older than him and then a brother who's eight years older than him. And then he's like kind of like the oops baby. I always say he's the oops baby. And his mom's like, no, we meant to have him. And I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. But he is absolutely spoiled. He's absolutely the favorite. And if you were to ask his siblings, they probably have a hard time with that. So we can understand sort of that sibling dynamic. In fact, my kids have a little bit of this thing going on too. So uh, our 16-year-old and our 14-year-old, um, they're two years apart. We had them a long time ago, uh, those amount of years ago. And, um, and then, you know, we, we decided we're, we're done having children. And so, but during COVID, we got a dog. And our dog is adorable. I'll have to show you later. Our dog is the sweetest little Shih Tzu dog. He is just like so cute like and so before we got him I was thinking like 
I don't really know if I want a dog. I'm not really sure if, you know, like, I don't want the responsibility. And so we had this talk, uh, Zach and I, before we got the dog. And I said, look, if we get this dog, you're the one that's going to be cleaning up poop. You're the one that's going to be taking him on walks. You're the one that's going to be feeding him and doing all the things that you need to do for a dog to take care of this little tiny creature. And so I had, was sure that I was not going to do anything for this dog. The moment I saw this dog, I melted. Like literally, I was just like, oh my goodness, you're so cute, come here. And it was hilarious because here I was so adamant about not even doing anything for the dog. So I become like the dog mom. You know the dog mom that you kind of secretly judge? I know before I was a dog mom, I was like, that is ridiculous. Like, why would you dress your dog up? Like, that is weird. Or why would you put your dog in a purse or a bag, right? Backpack. Okay, so we actually have a dog stroller. It's pretty amazing. And I, I was the kind of person who thought that was ridiculous. So my son is actually, start, he in the beginning, he was really jealous of our dog. And I'm like, don't worry, you will always be my baby. And then I sang the Mariah Carey song to him um, off key. Uh, I'll, you'll always be my baby. Anyway, so fast forward back to Joseph. So he was a tattletale. He got special treatment. But because we know this because his dad made this ornate rope robe for him and uh, they, some people call it the, the coat of many colors. Uh, but in those days, robes were really important because they symbolized God's provision. They symbolized God's favor. They symbolized sort of a ranking that this person is special. They're number one. And so it really became this sort of distancing between him and his siblings, something that was already there, but even became more distant as time went on. So you guys remember the prodigal son story, how that, how the father ran to the prodigal and he put his cloak on him and he gave him a ring and he 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 did had a celebration for him a big luau well that kind of love is god's love for us and so so this is actually something that points us to how god loves us and lavishes on us all right so let's read on they hated him because of his dream he was a tattletale he was a kind of um person who told the truth, which is not a bad thing. They hated him because he got special treatment, but they also hated him because he had a dream. Because sometimes God will give us this dream and people don't understand it. Sometimes God will speak something to us and it doesn't make sense to everyone else. So what was his dream about? Well, let's find out. Verse six says this. He said to them, listen to this dream. He's talking to his brothers. We were hiding behind sheaves of grain and out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed to it. Now, imagine your younger sibling goes, hey, I had a dream that I had this really successful business and my business grew really, really big and, and yours didn't really grow that much. And then you actually bowed down to me or you actually started to idolize or worship me because I had this big success. And so they kind of were conceptualizing it in that way because grain symbolized a value. It was, a, it was an agricultural community. So the grain meant something to him. They bowed down to it. They thought that is so bizarre. The brothers started to make assumptions about his dream that we read do you intend to reign over us? Like, are you going to, you think you're going to be our boss? Will you actually rule us? And then they hated him 
all the more. It's just like this hatred inside of them grew and grew and grew because of his dream and what he had said. Sometimes we despise things that we don't understand. His brothers made an assumption that Joseph was arrogant. It was easy to assume that as he had these dreams and he started to share them with his brothers. It was easy to assume he was being arrogant. He had a second dream after this one. And in this dream, the sun and the moon and even the stars were bowing down to him. Now imagine him sharing this dream where it's like not only the grain and the ground and the agriculture is, is being successful, but the stars are bowing down to me. So when he told his dad about this dream, it actually says that his dad rebuked him. We pick up in verse 10. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now, his, even though he was rebuking him, he goes, maybe there's something to this. And he thought on that, and it always stuck with him. Ah, what kind of dream did you have? I would imagine that if the, the father was Hawaiian, he would say, oh, what kind of dream is this? He was just really trying to understand the situation. So as the story goes on, the brothers plot against him to kill him. All kind of a sub things start happening. So we find out that he gets sold into slavery. His brothers sell him to an Egyptian. And then he, he ends up in Potiphar's house, uh, which is a very powerful person in, in those days. And after Potiphar's wife, she kind of found him attractive. So she comes on to him and he's like, no, I'm not. I'm a man of God. I'm not going to um, you know, be with you. And so he ends up getting thrown in jail. We read that in verse 20. And so it's like, okay, he, his brothers plot to kill him. They're just wanting to get rid of him. He, he gets sold into slavery. He gets thrown into jail. And then he gets forgotten. He begins to interpret dreams in jail while he's in the jail cell. People go, oh, I heard that you can interpret dreams. And so he starts to interpret people's dreams and they come true. And so he said, hey, don't, you know, don't forget about me. Remember me when, when you get out. They forgot completely. Have you ever been in a situation where you just couldn't catch a break? Joseph was like that. He was in this situation where just one thing after another, bad things started to happen. In fact, maybe that was you during COVID. Oh, during COVID, so many things went wrong. I lost my job. My life fell apart. You know, all these different things happened worldwide during COVID. I got sick. I lost a family member. All these different kinds of things started to happen to people. So maybe you can relate to Joseph in some ways. Okay, so we read on that years go by and Pharaoh you know, has this dream and Joseph is able to interpret it. And eventually he becomes second in command. It says, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has modeled all this known to you, I'm sorry, it's since God has made this, all, all of this made known to you, there we go. There is no one so discerning and, and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all of my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So he's like, look, I see something in you, kid. I see potential. I believe in you. There's something special about you. He acknowledged the very thing that Joseph had a dream about. There was something special on him. There was anointing over Joseph's life. 
So God was watching Joseph in all of these situations, when he was in jail, when he was thrown into slavery, when his brothers tried to um, murder him and decided to sell him into slavery. He really went through a hard time, but God was there with him every moment of the way. You know, never underestimate what God is doing behind the scenes of your life. You might be thinking, man, I've been going through a hard time. Lots of bad things have been happening all around me. Never underestimate. God is at work in your life. Trust the process. Trust that he sees where you're at and what you're going through and how challenging it's been. Okay, so we read in verse uh, Genesis chapter 45. And he kind of recounts, he starts to think about the story of his life. And he's had a very, very um, wild life, if you think about it, all of the different experiences that he had over the years. And so he begins to recount and tell the story of his life when his brothers come. Eventually, there was a famine that lasted for seven years. And so because God gave him this dream, because God gave him a prophetic word and foresight into what was about to happen for that region, he was able not only to help uh, begin to store up food because he knew that there was going to be a drought. And when the drought happened, the, the father, his father, sent out the boys to go find help. I mean, they were in this desperate need. They were, they were broke. They were hungry. They were just needing some help in that moment. So they go to Pharaoh's place. And actually, they didn't even recognize Joseph when they first got there. Joseph actually, the Bible says that he actually like stepped away and he had to like compose himself because he was so moved with emotion when he saw his brothers come and ask him for help. And, and there was so, I would imagine in that moment that there were so many different emotions going through his head. Like, oh, these guys, they, they betrayed me. Like they, they sold me into slavery. Like I can't even imagine what that felt like for him. And so he, in that moment, as his brothers come asking for help, he had every right, a reason, as we would think, to not help them. But instead, he came and he helped them. He said this, why don't you go back and get the youngest brother, Benjamin? Because there was one younger than him. Why don't you go back and get Benjamin and bring him back to me? And then, then I'll help you. Well, they knew that if they went back to the father and they went back to their dad and they asked him to send Benjamin, the dad would not be okay with it because he already lost one son. He didn't want to lose another. Well, he ended up sending uh, Benjamin with him and he ended up going. Um, they, the brothers ended up going back to Potiphar's house. And as they got there, or I'm sorry, the Pharaoh's house, as they got there, it was a crazy, crazy experience. So Genesis 45 we read this. He threw his arm around his brother Benjamin and he wept. Like this, I've read this dozens of times. And every time I read it, like I get really choked up. He wept. Like he saw his brother, his youngest brother coming to him and he just lost it. Have you ever had those moments where you're just like, I cannot compose myself right now. I'm overwhelmed with emotion. And it wasn't a sorrow weep. It was a like reunited kind of weep. The kind of weeping that happens when we get reunited with someone who is so special and meaningful to us. And he kissed all of his brothers and wept over them. 
He didn't send them away so that he could reject them. He didn't say no to them and deny them uh, the help that he needed. He wept with them and he shared his life story and the journey that he had been through in jail and all the other things in, in slavery. He shared these things, but he wept with them. He was in that moment with them. And I'm sure there was not a dry eye in the room. And afterwards, his brothers, they talked with him. The story changed. He went from being dad's favorite to being gone to now being found again. That's a lot like God's redemptive story for you and I. We are God's favorite. We have seasons where we are lost, and maybe you're lost right now, where you're just going through it. You're going through hard things. But the Father's desire is to be reunited with you. And that's God's redemptive story. Joseph was able to forgive them when he probably shouldn't have. To me, it's, it's this kind of, he had this sort of kind of earth-shattering sort of resolve. Like, he, he got all the essential facts right when he was telling his story. He wasn't saying, hey, all these bad things happened to me. Woe is me. Feel sorry for me. As he started to tell his story, he was really telling it from God's perspective in such a way that, that it was allowed him to, to, to paint this picture of this redemptive future. God was the hero of Joseph's story, not Joseph. And this made all the difference. How you tell your story matters. It really does. What you say about yourself, how you introduce yourself, what you say to other people about who you are matters. Joseph, he, he diminishes his role as a victim. He could have said, you know, I'm a victim. I, I had all these bad things happen to me. Nothing ever good happens to me. He could have gone there. Even though he was a victim of his brother's jealousy and this crazy life story that he had, he told the story in a way that brought honor to God. The benefits of his pain are highlighted, not the pain of itself. Now, oftentimes we have difficult things, painful situations that we walk through, but God wants to focus in on highlight the good things. Joseph gives the most compassionate rendering possible uh, to those who hurt him. He, he was just so good at, at being compassionate toward them. And he protects the dignity of everyone well, maintaining the truth. So he didn't say, hey, this didn't happen in denial. He, he was very dignified in how he talked about it. He wasn't a victim in how he talked about it. He was dignified in how he talked about it. And that brought respect for the people around him. So he releases his brothers completely without being naive to what happened or denying the situation of God to be the hero of his story. God's purpose to redeem and provide are a part of the story of Joseph's life, not the injustice that he suffered. He didn't focus on those details. So who is the hero of your story? Now, everybody has a testimony. Everybody has a story of where you've been, of what you've been through, of how things have happened in your life, good, bad, ugly, all of the things. Who is the hero of your story? I think in Western culture, we can kind of think that we would be the hero of our own story. But my question to you is, who is the hero of your story? Is it you? Is it someone else? This person who came and saved you and made everything better? Or is it God? Think on that. 
Will you allow God to be the hero of your story? See, when we allow God to be the hero of our story, did you know that our brain literally changes? Like the chemistry in our brain literally changes. Uh, I, I'm, so I'm right now um, in pursuit of my master's degree in strategic leadership. Um, and so I'm doing a lot of courses online. I'm doing a lot of things in person as well. And it's really exhausting. It's a lot of work. But one of my professors was talking a little bit about the neuroscience and it really, really challenged me. He said, neuroscientists tell us that we do not store memories or of, of our past in a static form and then simply retrieve them like a data on a computer, like, oh, let me look up what happened. Oh yeah, that's what happened. He said, but rather we recreate and rebuild each of our memories each time we remember them. So we're recreating the story as we're thinking through the details of what happened. Our story is constantly changing, not so much the facts, but the meaning of the facts. And I thought this was really interesting. How you tell your story matters. What you say about who you are and who you desire to be matters. You know, every week we, we ask the same question. It's, what is God speaking to me? Some of us need a new narrative. Some of us need to rewrite or redirect our brain to say, hey, wait a minute, this bad thing happened, but God is still good. God can be good in the middle of a bad thing. And sometimes our brain has a hard time understanding that. That's why we need the Lord to change our narrative. We ask this question every week, what is God speaking to me? And I wanna ask you the same question. What is God speaking to you? Over the last 30 minutes or so, I've been sharing things that God has spoken to me in this season of my life. Maybe you can identify with some of those things. Maybe you've been hurt and you're having a hard time forgiving someone because they hurt you real bad. Maybe like Joseph, they betrayed you. They sold you into slavery. They sold you out. They left you. Maybe like Joseph, you had a situation where you ended up in jail or you ended up in, in prison, even if it wasn't a physical prison, but just a prison in your mind because of what happened. God has a redemptive story for you. There's a narrative that he desires to change in your life. Will you let God be the hero of your story? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much that you are faithful, God. You are so present. You, your word says that you are present help in time of need. And so God, right now we need you. We need you to show up in our lives. We need you to speak directly to our hearts. We need you to change the narrative of things that we've been saying about our experiences that, that have traumatized us, that have been challenging and difficult. God, would you help us to surrender those to you? Would you help us to trust you with our story? God, we're inviting you to be the hero of our story that we can honor you and stand tall and proud because of what you have done, because you fulfilled your promise in our life. I pray for every person who is struggling with that sort of discontent in their lives, and it's so challenging, and they're just trying to figure out how can I move on. God, I pray that you would show up right now where they are in their living room, in their car, wherever they're watching, and you would be God who is present. I pray, God, that you would show them, Lord, how you desire to redeem their story for a greater purpose, that their testimony matters. 
I pray, God, that you would surround them, Lord, with your your guardian angels. Would you surround them with your presence, Lord, even in this moment, that they would feel you, know you, and experience you in a different way. I pray that you would continue to move in each of of our lives as we move on from this time together, that you would show up in the middle of the week and speak to us very directly, very personally, that you would show up in our family situation and you would bring healing and restoration where siblings maybe are, are having a hard time connecting and, and, and being, uh, being in agreement. I pray God that this jealousy thing that, that sometimes can happen to anyone that happened to the brothers that God, I just pray that you would break the, the chains of that jealousy and that you would bring healing and redemption to that story. God, would you change the narrative of our story so that you can be the hero? And that when we go through hard things, when we go through challenging moments, that we could look to you and know that you are good and you are God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, you guys, it's been an honor and a pleasure to spend some time with you this morning. And I'm just praying that God would speak to your heart even as you move on from this time. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to speak into your life. I'm grateful for your pastors. They're amazing people. And I just want to say thank you. Aloha. Have a blessed and wonderful week.